Welcome to Diabetes Technology Report, co-hosted by endocrinologist David Klonoff from UCSF and David Kerr from Sutter Health. Welcome to Diabetes Technology Report. I'm David Klonoff. I'm an endocrinologist at Mills Peninsula Medical Center and UCSF, and I'm going to turn this over to fellow endocrinologist David Kerr. Hello, everyone. I'm David Kerr. I'm speaking to you from Sutter Health in Santa Barbara, California. Today, we have probably the most famous diabetes psychologist on the planet. It's a really warm welcome to Bill Polonsky. Bill, I'm sure most of our listeners have know you, have heard from you, have listened to you. But I'm, I'm kind of wondering as a first question, how did you get into diabetes and psychology in the first place? What, what persuaded you to go down that route? Um, well, first of all, thanks. I'm really glad to be here and to join you guys. Um, so I, I've been a diabetes psychologist for about 35 years, and I it, my journey was fairly accidental. Uh, I'm by training what's called a clinical health psychologist. And in 1988, I think it was, um, I almost accidentally stumbled into a place called the Jocelyn Diabetes Center. And they had, uh, I can't remember exactly even how I ended up there, but for a variety of reasons, they said, oh, maybe you should come work here for a while. They weren't quite sure they needed a psychologist there, actually. And I wasn't, of course, of course, I had no idea what I was doing either. But they said, why don't you come work here for six months and let's just let's just see what happens. And I was very um, lucky because the very first day I walked in, luckily the Jocelyn, at that point being the largest diabetes center in the world, had a very large waiting room. And I just started walking up to people. And I would introduce myself and say, uh, excuse me, I don't know if you're, I'd like to ask you a question. Just could you tell me what's living with diabetes like for you? figured that was my only way I'm going to figure out if I could have a job here and what I needed to do. And I'll never forget the very first person I asked that question to said, looked at me in shock, actually, and said, to my surprise, thank you. And I went, thank you? What, what are you talking about? She says, well, I've had diabetes a long time. No one's ever asked me that question before. And I went, wow, that's really unfortunate. But she did tell me, and then I kept walking around the waiting room and kept asking that one question, what's living with diabetes like for you? And I just got more and more fascinated and honored people would be willing to share their stories with me. And it didn't take long to realize we had uncovered an incredibly important problem that hadn't been addressed or even noticed before. And I have just felt lucky um, every day since then to be involved in this field and feel like I'm able to make a difference with folks, both as a clinician and a researcher. So um, nice. It was accidental. Accidental, but it's worked. Now, we're today going to talk about diabetes technology just in general terms, but what's your view of where we are with this? I mean, how much benefit have people with diabetes globally um, seen with the application of technologies in your view? And what are the, some of the things that still need to be done? Um, well, I'd like to be neutral and stay calm about this, but I can't and just say it is a freaking miracle how things are right now. And in terms of what I've certainly I've seen in the 35 years I've been in this field, 
it is absolutely extraordinary the degree to which we've helped people have a sense of control over their own fate, a sense of hope for their future, um, uh, a sense of self-efficacy. So much has happened, uh, so much gain. Um, I'm quite sure you both feel the exact same way. It has really been amazing. Do we have a long way to go? Yeah, because we know this is, at least here in in the United States, this is still technology that is not um, as affordable as it could be for so many folks. Um, we still know there's other advances that we need in terms of, well, who am I talking to? You guys know more of this than I do. In terms of making the data meaningful for folks, in terms of miniaturizing things even more, I mean, um, making things even more reliable than they already are, although we've seen such enormous advances over the past few years. Um, I, I couldn't be more excited about what we've seen, what's happened with diabetes technology, what an enormous difference it's made for folks, uh, especially in my own tiny universe of my field in terms of its impact on diabetes distress, in terms of people's fears of hypoglycemia and so much more. Um, it's been beyond revolutionary. And um, I think we're very lucky to live in this time. Bill, one of the most widely used technologies these days is continuous glucose monitoring. What's been your observation about whether people like using it or whether they feel they're tethered to a machine? What's it been like? <laughs> it's been extraordinary. I can't help smiling just thinking about it. You know, it's I can only remember one person who uh, came to see me. In fact, I just saw her again it's after about a, it's been seven or eight years, I think, since I first met her. And um, uh, I remember t- telling her, I said, you know, you're someone who's having a tough time. I think you would really benefit from getting on one of the early uh, continuous glucose monitoring systems. And, and she had such an interesting type of reluctance that I never heard of. And she said, well, I, I really don't want to do this. And, and the concern she had was, if I start using it, then I won't be able to stop, right? I went, well, well, no, you could stop anytime you want. She goes, oh, well then, yeah, I guess I should give it a try. But there was this sort of sense of, this is going to be permanent, it's going to be glued on, I'll never be able to quit using it. And once she realized it was in her control, um, it changed everything for her. Um, so um, she was literally the only person I can think of who was at least initially rather um, that reluctant. Um, and for, I'm probably overstating, I could probably think of others. But again, we've seen for, I mean, how many people have you seen that I've seen who said it's like using CGM, it's like someone's turned a light off. It's like, oh, that's what's going on. And yes, it's true. There people who I meet who need a break from it. I uh, just saw someone a few weeks ago like that who needs a break every once in a while because she was losing a sense of um, uh, perspective on who's controlling who. Um, it was sort of this sense that she that this, this CGM was sort of watching me and judging me as opposed to it being my information I can do with it what I wanted. And she really needed to put it aside for a while so that she could take time with me, actually, to rethink what's her relationship with this device, and is it working for me, or am I working it for him, for for it? So that sometimes is a challenge that we see. But um, I'm glad to hear that I don't think that's so common. It's, it's not as common as it, we saw it originally. Uh, you were first author on the famous STEP study, which showed benefits from blood glucose monitoring. Do many of your patients do 
blood glucose monitoring these days? Not if I can help it. Um, uh, uh, no, we don't see that too. I mean, I feel very lucky, at least here in sunny San Diego, and given the really extraordinary endocrinologist community we have here in town and PCPs, um, you know, we see people very rapidly moving from using traditional old strip glucose monitoring to CGM, especially it's become more affordable and covered by insurance. Um, we see that even in, in the newly diagnosed patients as well, and newly diagnosed type 2 patients even. And of course, I think we're all, we can all agree as this becomes more affordable, we're going to see regular strip monitoring probably go, go away, right? I mean, it's hard to believe it will stick around. Bill, let's look into the future. The hottest topic in technology at the moment is artificial intelligence. And I don't know what's the right or the wrong thoughts about this. What are your thoughts about the application of AI in diabetes care? Who's going to benefit? Who's going to suffer? Is it affordable? And all the usual philosophical questions. Um, you know, I have a funny feeling you two may know a lot more about this than I do. I'm not sure at all what we are talking about and what we're seeing. I mean, I've played with this technology a bit, but as we see how, uh, I guess the promise of AI is going to make, you know, whether it's pumps and whether it's CGMs, simply make it easier for people so that they need to make fewer decisions, right? As we move that much closer to a truly closed loop system, I think we're going to see people uncomfortable and reluctant about such systems um, until they can feel that they can trust it, right? So one of the things that we've seen in all of our studies over the course of years is what drives people to be willing to take and use technology uh, to start it and to continue to use it and to use it well is trust. You know, can I trust that this device is reliable? Can I trust that this device isn't going to mess things up for me? Um, um, it's that trust issue that is so gigantic. I'm sure you've, you've both seen that as well. Bill, uh, have your patients been using mobile apps that either give them advice or reminders or nudges? What's been your experience with that type of technology? You know, I, I, I've seen some. I, I think I, I, my, I tend to downplay it so much. If they have, I, they probably don't even talk about it to me anymore. So, um, you know, to me, what we see is the people who benefit from apps are the people who like apps, right? It's, it's, uh, um, it, it's people who are already engaged with their diabetes to such a degree that they find this to be an extra benefit that can, that can help them make better use of their engagement. Uh, and, I, and I preface that just because, because of what I do for a living. We, we tend to see people who aren't that engaged, right? So you know, we tend to see people who are, um, again, wearing my clinical hat, who are really disengaged from their diabetes, Maybe they have one foot in, one foot out, but they're they're far away from thinking about what are the most advanced technologies to, to use. They're, you know, we're still trying to convince them that it might be worth the effort to even give their diabetes as much attention as it probably needs. Um, but the apps are not something we touch on much. Bill, just taking that further, I, I still remember your fantastic presentation at the American Diabetes Association a few years ago about diabetes education, you had some fairly provocative <laughs> uh, 
things to say in those days, and they stuck with me. So, I mean, the bottom line, diabetes education does not enough people refer. It's boring, I think you said. Um, and so what can technology do to turn that on its head and get, you know, people, give people access to and participate in and benefit from diabetes education? What, what do we need to do? Yeah, well, I'm so glad you asked. You know, we published a study, a small pilot study last year. In fact, we're just getting ready to start a randomized control version of this where we really want to reinvent diabetes education, especially diabetes education for people with type 2 diabetes, because, because it has been for so many people so boring and so demotivating. And so it's what we call the AHA project and the idea of saying, why should anyone ever ever have to be given another boring lecture about how to eat right about diabetes when we could just give them a CGM, send them on their way and have regular conversations about with them, whether it's in a structured way, like we did in the step study, where we're using just strip monitoring or whether it's more free form, but to say, let's, you know, people are going to be way more interested in their glucose values than broadly speaking, what a glucose value is or what an A1C test is. And so when you set people free, let them have, you know, give them a CGM and say, let's find out how food affects you. Let's see what, how exercise affects you. It is, it's extraordinary. And it's so funny, actually, people often come back and say, I had no idea. Why didn't anyone ever tell me that, you know, exercise can have such a positive effect on my blood sugars? Well, I'm pretty sure people did tell you that. But what's important is that you've discovered that on your own with your own data because it just makes it a whole lot more real and a lot more meaningful. So we couldn't be more excited about how how the future, the CGM is going to completely transform what diabetes education really is for people in this country and hopefully around the world. Bill, I have a question for you that's not about technology. What do you think about the widespread use of incretins these days? These are drugs like Ozempic, Monjaro, Trulicity, Will these replace all the other treatments for diabetes and we won't need to do anything else except prescribe these drugs? <laughs> That's a really good point. I mean, certainly we have seen uh, uh, extraordinary uh, outcomes, right? Not just in, in our large RCTs that we're all familiar with, but in our own clinical practices, whether we're talking about Ozempic, whether we're talking about Wagovi, Manjaro, it really has been, although not universal, um, but it really has been extraordinary in terms of what we've seen. You know, I have to say clinically something that's really been niggling at me that I'm just starting to wonder whether um, people, we should, we should co-brand incretins with CGM. Because we're starting to see patients who are more likely to stick with, um, say, Ozempic, you know, through some of those difficult early weeks and months, when they're also provided with and can look at their own data and see that it's making a difference. And they kind of reinforce each other and help people stay enthused. And we're seeing that clinically. And I wonder, I wonder if that's going to end up becoming a bigger thing. Because I do think um, just incretins on their own um, aren't going to be just enough for everybody? I don't know. I think we're going to see that many people need support, um, very specialized and personalized support. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how 
technology, especially CGM, um, and use of mobile apps can make a difference for some of these folks. Um, obviously, we're just at the for- we're at the beginning of this, and in, in so many ways. I, so I'm I'm intrigued, but I don't think it's going to replace uh, everything. Bill, thank you for speaking to us today at Diabetes Technology Report. Uh, this podcast is available at Spotify, the Apple Store, Diabetes Technology Society website, and Salud Diabetes. We will catch you at the next Diabetes Technology Report. On behalf of Dr. David Kerr and myself, we appreciate your time with us today. Bye-bye. Bill, thank you very much. My pleasure. It's been great to be with you guys. I'm very happy. Thank you for inviting me.